When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, I'm still recovering from bronchitis, so if, uh, <laughs> if I start coughing, uh, I apologize ahead of time. Anyway, the person interested in success has to learn to view failure as a healthy, inevitable part of the process of getting to the top. I think it was Joyce Brothers, by the way, who brought that. So uh, anyway, you know, I always direct you to my webpage, and uh, you know, if you go to WHK fourteen twenty AM and uh, go down, you go to podcasts, local podcasts, and go down to Tim Hayes Smart Investor Show. You can go directly to my webpage from there. So that's really a nice uh, uh, piece of uh, or a nice easy path to uh, my webpage, and uh, you know, you can uh, collect a lot of things. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for our, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. We also have a global income list, which is a pretty long uh, list of names, by the way. Uh, our top idea list. And we got a couple new things today that I think you'll like. Um, anyway, um, so I got a note from uh, Charlie this week. And Charlie said, uh, Tim, what happened to the melt up? I'm going to talk about that in a second. But don't forget, you can get our November newsletter. You can get it every month if you want. Just sign up with me, and I'll send it out to you. Uh, that's, you know, uh, if you go to my webpage, there's, I think there's a couple email Tim or contact Tim, you know, uh, things there. Uh, December, I had a lot of good compliments on the December newsletter because uh, it's got some things that you should know. Now, I've talked for some time now about uh, the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. And, uh, you know, I had a... a extremely wealthy man in my office uh, last week. And uh, he said, you know, you really impressed me by talking about that because the average Joe does not how to, does not know both sides of the balance sheet. And this guy's a former accountant. Okay. And he's bought a couple businesses. He's done very, very well, but he said, you know, you got to tell your, your, your people out there that the credit side is just as important as the, the other side. So uh, something to remember. Uh, the global income ideas, like I said, this is a, a big, long, you know, it's like 100 pages. So, uh, if, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doving those out slowly but surely. But anyway, uh, also, we now have our global insights out. And, uh, you know, that is uh, uh, an interesting scenario, too. So, um, you know, this is the 2020 uh, insights. All right. So uh, something to, to think about. Um, I would suggest that uh, uh, those those are a good reason to, uh, you know, look up my name and uh, email me. But don't forget the telecommu- the technology, Internet, media and telecommunications conference is uh, very interesting. You know, last week we talked about the mid caps turning up. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, um, I'm going to talk about some other stuff uh, the second half of the show or the second part of the show. But there's a new study in JAMA uh, finds that roughly 20 to 25 percent of American healthcare spending is wasteful. The estimated waste is at least 760 billion per year. Now imagine just how how you know what the rates would be if that that would come down. 
That's comparable government spending on Medicare and exceeds national military spending as well as total primary and secondary educational spending. So it's a pretty big ticket. The average price of a ticket to the 100 most popular tours in North America has almost quadrupled over the past two decades from 25 bucks to 91.81. In an age of ongoing digital transformation, cybercrime has quickly become the today's fastest growing form of criminal activity. Equaling, uh, equally worrying for the modern execs is also set to cost businesses $5.2 trillion worldwide uh, within the next five years. So, wow. So, anyway, I just want to talk real briefly. You know, we've been talking about disruption, basically. We talked about 5G, and I think we talked about 5G well before most other people. Uh, you know, it's a wireless technology. It represents a very powerful platform for innovation, you know, what it's doing is it's liberating disruptive ideas from the shackles of, of the physical infra- infrastructure, in my humble opinion. And look, um, you know, we went through 1G and that, that was in the, you know, in the 1980s. And we had 2G in 2000. And then we went to 4G in 2010. But 5G is not a single technology. It's rather uh, it requires an interweaving of simultaneous advancements across several dif- disciplines to form the, the fabric of a, a really big disruptive change, and it will deliver unprecedented levels of performance to empower uh, new users and connect new industries. Uh, this this will embody, you know, uh, such things as multiple G, uh, GBPs, peak data rates. That's huge. That's gigabytes, folks. Ultra low latency under one millisecond and improved power efficiency across the board. So, you're going to see streaming video. You, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, you're going to have autonomous vehicles, industrial uh, Internet of Things. I've talked about that before. <coughs> E-health. I don't think you're going to be seeing a doctor. In five years, you're probably not going to be seeing a, a doctor, all right, um, in, in my opinion anyway. Also, you know, I've been talking about software, and I said there's a very disruptive force out there, and it's called Kubernetes. And uh, Kubernetes is, is going to be big. And, but, you know, I've been talking about software for two years now, and, you know, one of the reasons that we can do this is because of Moore's Law. And that's simply we double the computing power on the same chip every so many years. OK. And uh, the key is, is that allows software to do its thing. So we've been talking about this for some time now. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody's, you know, in and, and knows what's going on. But we talked about Kubernetes and uh, last week. And, you know, I, I just think it's important uh, that, you, that you know about this stuff because it's probably the, the future of computing, all right? And then maybe there'll be quantum computing, but as of now, uh, it, you know, it's, it's an amazing piece. And uh, so, uh, look, the way it works is applications grow to span multiple containers uh, deployed across multiple servers. Operating them becomes more complex, and to manage this complexity, Kubernetes provides an open-source API that controls how and where those containers will run. So you have this big brother software running everything, right? So anyway, cyber sales were absolutely amazing this, this year. Thanksgiving, I can't believe they're going on on Thanksgiving, but uh, $4.2 billion, that's up from 3.7 uh, in 2018. 7.4 on Black Friday, up from 6.2. On Saturday, it was 3.6 up from 3.1. On Sunday, it was 3.8 up from 3.1. On Cyber Monday, it was up to 9.4 from 7.9. 
Big numbers, big numbers. Okay, so it's getting to the time when you got to, you know, look, tax losses are good. They hide, they hide your capital gains from the government, okay? So what you got to do is you're going to take your capital gains and your capital losses and you're going to match them. And you're going to go short-term, short-term, long-term, long-term, all of them, all of them. So capturing losses, you can carry these forward for years, okay? Years upon years. So, look, one of the ways you can, if, if you have something, you know, let's say, a, a, and I'm just making an example. I'm not saying go out and sell this. <coughs> I'm not saying the fundamentals are terrible or anything. I'm just saying you're going to take a loss. So let's say you have Macy's, and it's Macy's been emaciated. <laughs> uh, trust me, Um so if you want to stay in the retail area, what you do is you sell Macy's as an example, you know, not suggesting this, okay, and then you buy the retail ETF. That way you stay in retail, but you get rid of Macy's, okay? So uh, you could do this with healthcare, utilities, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, uh, another retail stock is the Gap. I mean, the Gap's getting has been getting beat up all year. So sell it and buy the consumer discretionary portfolio. Okay, Uh, so that's a way to tax loss harvest. uh, uh, And I think it's a good one. Um, And look, I have a list of a bunch of really high, highly known stocks that aren't looking so good short term. Okay, and you probably have 31 days because, you know, you can take a tax loss and 31 days you can buy it back. But in the meantime, if you think that group is going to go up or you're going to miss something, you just buy the ETF and take it from there. Okay, so, um, hey, one of the the areas that's really turned around, I think, and, and you know, and I think it's got a lot more to go is healthcare. And I have a, a list. I mean, look, I had a biotech, I don't know, Wednesday. And look, I, I have little bits of all these pieces. So some of my clients don't get them. You know, some, some have other ones that I think are going to be big ones. But I had one that doubled in a day. I had one that went from like 13 to 20 or to, to 40, I guess, in, in one day. So These are the small biotechs that are coming through now because people are so short these things that they have to cover when there's good news. Now, I also think that, uh, you know, biogenetics became uh, a favored sector, by the way, uh, just last week. Uh, But the principal healthcare in general has been looking really good. So, uh, you know, healthcare has not really participated over the course of the last uh, couple of years. And, you know, it started out in in uh, 2017 and, and blew out, and then 2018 gave it all back. One of the things, uh, we had Lori Calcivino on, who's our head strategist, and one of the things she did this week was she made uh, uh, small caps a slight overweight to large caps. And I think sm- there's a lot of small cap stocks that are that are under-owned. And what's even worse is a lot of them are short. And uh, being short right now I don't think is a good case, but... Lori said a couple things that I thought were really beneficial. She said, number one, 2020 likely to be a moderation, turbulence, and transition year in the U.S. equity market. And she, she just has a, a 6.7% increase for the S&P next year. Uh, she thinks there's a, a high risk of a near-term pullback or a pullback at the beginning of the year and a slight preference for value over growth. We've been talking about that for some time. And her favorite sectors are financials, industrials, and utilities. Now, I haven't been talking about utilities, but I have been talking about financials and industrials. And she thinks that if we do get the shift to value, that the U.S. may uh, be the, the second in command compared to international stocks. She also talked about dividend yield. You know, that's a great stock model, and she really likes it. Uh, and she, she thinks that there'll be a sluggish economic growth. 
You know, it's funny. Whenever growth, uh, economic growth is below 2% in any given year, you usually don't have a great year. Okay? Uh, during the Obama administration, we had four of those, uh, and, and we didn't really have any great years. It was all dividends. You know, you had to buy dividends. Um, and the other thing that's happened is the buyback uh, activity has moderated in 2019. So you think it's gonna, that's going to happen more in 2018. And then, you know, she said um, a lot of the equity positioning right now is euphoric uh, in the futures market. So that's not a good sign either. And she thinks that uh, we're back to the current peak uh, valuations in the S&P 500. So you, you, you want to be careful. And then, uh, well, you know, let, let's take a break and I'll be right back with some more. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Thank you. Okay, we're back. Uh, once again, if, if you um, wanted to get any of the things I talked about on the show, uh, like our, you know, our new stuff uh, for the 2020 highlights, what we think is going to happen, uh, our global best uh, income ideas, our uh, dividend growth portfolio, our top ideas, that type of thing, just go to WHK1420. Uh, I, think, I think it goes, yeah, uh, WHK1420 yeah, AM. And uh, go to the, the local podcast down to Tim Hayes, and there's uh, you can go right directly to my webpage there. But we were just talking about Lori Calcivina. Uh, sorry, I've got a cough drop in my mouth, so if I swallow this and I start choking, you know why. Uh, but anyway, um, and and what she was talking about, and and she was talking about that the current cycle, uh, her valuation, her S and P five hundred valuations are back to where they peak normally, and uh, she also said that. The consensus 2019 and 2020 earnings per share growth forecast has been slipping. I mean, John Deere is a perfect example of that this week. So uh, when you have shifts downward in earnings per share uh, and, you know, if you adjust the E, you got to adjust the P, right? So the E is the earnings, the P is the price. So that's how price earnings ratios are figured out. Um, Now, you know, one of the things that she talked about was the shifting view on the 2020 election has helped drive the, the latest upswing in the S&P 500. And what she meant by that was Elizabeth Warren's implied probability of winning the presidential candidate uh, has dropped from 50 percent down to, to less than uh, 25. And with that, uh, there's been a reversal in the S&P 500 index. Also, the probability of the Republican Party winning went up to 49 percent this last week. And uh, obviously that's helped uh, too. So now she does say, and we've been talking about this for some time, and I've been saying value versus growth, that growth still looks expensive versus value uh, on their model. So uh, large cap growth, um, if you know, to take into account all the weighted and unweighted median metrics, they use a combo model for the Russell 1000 growth and value. And the growth looks, uh, growth looked undervalued versus value back in 2016, 2018. Now, it's uh, it's the same same scenario. Now, the problem with this is that major shifts like this happen late in bull markets uh, at their end. OK, so, you know, maybe there's uh, she's not looking for a big correction. I mean, she's not looking for a 20 percent uh, sell off or anything like that, which usually ends a bull market. All right. You know, there are bear markets within the grand cycle of bull markets. OK, and there are bull markets within the grand cycle of a bear market. Uh, so this is a secular bull, so there can be a bear in there. We basically had one last December. 
but if you look, uh, value and growth have traded or trades, they move in sync with the yield curve. So the recent steeping, steepening helped value is what it comes down to. And if growth uh, trades uh, come under pressure again, the U.S. seems likely to lag. They, she thinks the money will go overseas. But she does think small caps are playing catch-up, and she does like them a lot, and, and she thinks the, the modest inflection in economic activity, look, the Fed was too tight, and now they're loosening up. So that really helps the uh, Russell 2000. However, uh, one of the things she noticed is that the relative performance of the S&P 500 over the uh, – I mean the Russell over the S&P – has loosely tracked the Fed, uh, Chicago Fed National Activity Index, which is turned down. So well, you got to be careful. But small business optimism has dipped, and uh, you know that's part of the problem with small caps. They struggle to recapture their highs. Um, look, I, I think there's uh, several good-looking sectors right now, and I'll mention these, uh, and I've, I think I've, I'm at nauseum now. <laughs> the first one is the XLF, which is the financials. Uh, I, I prefer the individual stocks because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stocks that don't look as good as the top four or five, just, you know, just between you and me and the gate post. And then uh, also the industrials, which we've talked about it, uh, at, at nauseum also. Uh, so uh, by the way, there's four or five uh, charts on the industrials that look absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then uh, the shipping stocks uh i'm not sure why but the shipping stocks they have been dead for a long long time and uh the shipping stocks are starting to break out so that's another area to pay close attention to i think um also this is a season where a lot of people look at uh, the consumer discretionary or the retail group and i would suggest that this is also a, a season for mobile payments uh you know now, almost 30% of the people out there are paying through their phone. Uh, I don't know how much Apple has of that, but, uh, you know, they, they have a bit of it. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a mobile payment ETF that you could use. Uh, so, you know, that's an interesting thought process, I think. Um, um, look, I, I, I <laughs> uh, Charlie called me and said, where's the melt up? And I said, hey, from this time I started talking to last week, we had a 10% move. That was less than a month. That's what I call melt up. I don't think it's over. I just think, you know, after 10% in a, in a less than a month, you're going to probably pause a little bit. So, yes, you're going to pause. But 10% in a month, Charlie, that ain't bad. That's my idea of a melt up. Uh, now, you know, is there going to be a correction? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know when. Uh, I mean, I, I think we could have one easily. Uh, I mean, we may have started one. Uh, if If we get one in December, I think, January will be dynamite. If we don't get one in December, January could be a problem. Uh, so I think it's I think there'll be a market correction coming. I just don't know when. But the melt up I think will continue after the correction, uh, in my humble opinion. Anyway, um, I did know, you know, I looked at a couple things, uh, and I noticed that uh, if I looked at the Golden Cross and the Silver Cross indexes, uh, you know, we saw a couple of those things occur, and. Uh, that usually is very, very positive. I, I've seen it on the mid-cap, uh, the small-cap indexes. Come, the consumer staples did it, too. So I think there'll be, uh, you know, we could have some very impressive uh, moves coming up here, but I think they could re- require some patience. Um, look, uh, you know, Dexcom, which was, which is a name, you know, we had on our, our list, 
uh, went from 150 to 225 in in less than a, two weeks uh, based on uh, not only earnings but their their new uh, diabetes product. So uh, and Corvo, which is another name, you know, uh, that is in the semiconductor area, was trading at 80. Now is 105 in two weeks. So I think these things, you know, those type of names are names where you're going to have to wait on them, okay? Because they're not going to go right up. You know, look, uh, I have a, a small biotech company that went up 100% last week, okay? And didn't have a lot of it, had enough of it. Um, didn't have everybody in it because a lot of people don't like biotechs, okay? Uh, some people take, you know, some of their Vegas money. They're willing to, 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 to check out what's going on. But anyway, you know, the point is uh, there's a lot of names gapping up because people are short these names big, in the biotech and healthcare area, they're short, big folks, all right, because of Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was going to tear down the entire system and Medicare for all. Same with Bernie Sanders. They've lost ground in the presidential race. Okay, simple as that. So the S&P levels, uh, if, you know, if you're micromanaging this pullback, I think it'll be difficult. Um, but, I, you know, there's, uh, I'm going to go over that in a minute. But the weekly momentum indicators, and I'm tracking like, you know, one quarter, two-quarter shifts have moved from oversold towards overbought levels. So, you know, we did have a 10% move, folks. That's a big move in the stock market in less than a month. Uh, well, I, I'd say it was the second week in October when it started. So, we well, we'll call it a month. <laughs> All right. Um, but, the, but the long-term cycle, if I look at the monthly, the monthly quadrant balance oscillator uh, is still, you know, fairly overbought. But the Momentum indicator is fairly oversold. So, look, you know, if we t- if we went back to October, uh, you know, I'll call it the first week of October till now, it's a 10% move. So we're going to pull back a little bit. Nothing goes up 10% without a little bit of pullback. Uh, even, you know, in 2017, we had a, a period of time where we went sideways for a while. That may happen, too. You know, corrections occur in several different ways, time corrections or, or volume corrections. Now, Growth really took off, and now it's backing off again. So, you know, we had value take off, then growth take off, and now value's taken off again. So we'll see what happens. Look, uh, also, I talked about the the foreign markets. Uh, you know, they've been correcting. And I think uh, if, you, if you look at the, the smaller names, the emerging markets, or the bigger names, they've been correcting for two or three weeks now. So they may be leading the way. Who knows? But, uh, you know, the, the 10-year note uh, yield... Now, okay, so this is the yield. So the yield goes up, bond prices go down, yields go down, bond prices go up. All right, so it's still oversold and, and is just starting to turn. And if you look at the TLT, which is actually the bond ETF, you know, it, it looks like it's making a series of lower highs. And that means uh, they somebody thinks that the yields are going back up. And looked at the dollar, the dollar made a high, it made a lower high. Remember I said it broke down a little bit? And that that'll probably be positive for crude oil, but crude oil still in that triangle pattern that we talked about, and gold, gold uh, still looking good. I think, uh, uh, you know, silver is actually looking better. So uh, silver, gold, then copper is what it comes down to. The financials broke out like I thought they would. The relative performance for the S and P five hundred has been big. Uh, the utility sector broke down, um, although Lori Calcivino still likes it. Healthcare broke out big, um, and. Boy, I tell you, the relative performance for the S&P 500 really broke out big. Semis uh, broke out big. You know, we talked about them for a month, and they broke out big. Now I think they're pausing a little bit, so you want to just be a little bit more careful. Now, look, 
what we're trying to do here is we're trying to teach you fundamentals and we're trying to teach you technicals. But there are two types of security analysts in our market. Fundamental analyst is what uh, most of us are familiar with. That's when you see an analyst on TV and he reads comments from an analyst uh, in a magazine or news report. Most of that comes from the fundamental analyst side. Now, then there's a technical analyst. And, you know, look, I use both point-and-figure charts. Our friends at Dorsey Wright provide them, but i also been looking at those. I look at uh, what is known as a candlestick charts, which the Japanese designed, and I also look at regular charts. So uh, most people, um, you know, do not combine the two. And, I mean, there are study after study that says if you combine the two, you will make more money and lose less uh, than the guy that doesn't. So on a fundamental analyst, he looks at the product acceptance, the company management, the price-to-earnings ratio, and the earnings quality. So he, just, he figures out what's, what to buy. When you're a technical analyst, you take that information, you look at the internal strength, the trend analysis, the momentum, the relative strength as to when to buy. See, an analyst, everybody complains about analysts, but what they're supposed to do is tell you, hey, these are the five best stocks in my group. They're not telling you exactly when to buy them. Group's got to be in favor. And if you look... At you know, across the board, there's lots of buy recommendations out there in every sector. There's hardly any sells. So, if an analyst follows a stock, what is he going to probably do? He's going to give it a, a a buy recommendation. So, the fundamental versus technical concept is something we've been driving home. Uh, we'll be back. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, I did swallow that uh, <laughs> uh, cough drop, so uh, there's no chance of me choking any, any further. Um, anyway, um, look, domestic equities have begun December by taking a breather. And um, a lot of the broad indexes are pulling back over the first couple of days. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to identify uh, uh, pullbacks and one of the things we look at is a basket of stocks. We, we go back to the zone method, and that's Jim Yates, who I met you know, numerous times uh, in Chicago when I was working for Lehman Brothers on, on LaSalle Street. And Jim was a really uh, uh, smart guy, and he was an option specialist. And so what he did is he took the market and he broke it up into six zones. Zone six is the most overbought. Zone one is most oversold. So what he would say is if you're in zone six, you write the calls. If you're in zone one, you, you buy the calls, okay? And if you look right now, uh, almost three-quarters of the, oh, actually, more like five-eighths, uh, I mean, three-quarters, seven-eighths of all the uh, uh, stocks are in zone three, four, and five. So we're right in the middle. Usually the best time to buy is when everything's back in one, two, and three, okay? And the worst time to buy is when they're in four, four five, and six. So right now we're kind of, uh, you know, in the middle, but anyway, the point is, is that, you know, when you have this many stocks in zone three, four and five with a majority in four and five, by the way, um, you've got to be a little bit more selective in what you buy. So anyway, you know, we always talk about the bullish percent and the bullish percent was brought to us by a protege of Charles Dow. And look, all it does is tell us that the risk levels higher or lower. OK, when uh, this goes from zero to 100, it's a point and figure chart. So it's X's and O's. And no, you don't have to. You know, when you get a go in a column of O's, sell your entire portfolio out. doesn't work that way. Right now, domestic equities are the number one asset class. And by the way, they picked up about six or seven votes this, this month because of the 10% move. 
Um, and so when we get over 70, that's when everybody's in the market. Okay, that's when you should be worried. That's when everybody is euphoric. When you get below 30 and you, you're not willing to open up your 401k statement because you got killed, that's the best time to buy. When your gut says, God, I don't think I should be buying. That's the best time to buy. Okay. And what this does is let you know when that's occurring. So, you know, to prepare a little bit, you know, look, uh, except for 2007 and eight, I've been on this show for 15, 16 years, and I have never said to go to hundred percent cash except for that period of time. And I didn't even go to hundred percent cash. I kept about eight stocks. All right. I kept Abbott labs, Johnson, Johnson, uh, Genentech, which got taken over for me. And I actually bought Coca-Cola in 2008 at the bottom. And I bought a couple of the housing stocks in the bottom. Everybody thought it was nuts, but they, they've worked out great. <laughs> I mean, I bought some of those at like 20% of book value, you know? So anyway, so this week we're at 55.5%. We were down about a percentage point. Uh, you know, we wouldn't break down till 50. So we got a ways to go. The over the counter index, the small caps were up 1%. So they, they continue to be a great place to buy because they're under 50. Remember, uh, you know, we'd like them under 30, but if, if it, you know, they were there just last December and I said, don't get bearish. Also, the world indexes is in the column of X's is at 44.3 is down about three quarters of a point and 40 would be where it breaks down. So all the charts are positive. And remember, the bullish percent went to bull confirmed status for the first time since 2017, which is interesting. Now, the other thing I noticed is that, look, we, you know, whether we, I, I look at dynamic asset level investing that our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with, and we have escalating trade tensions or, you know, headlines across the news outlets about uh, an impeachment process, which is, I think, bunk. But, uh, you know, we have a reversal in a sharp a rally beginning in the, in the middle of October and carrying through this month. And what it does is it's manifested, you know, look, when I said I thought we have a, uh, a melt up, the S&P 500 was at 2,900. It went to 3,160. That's a big move. That's a big move. That's a good call on my part. <laughs> uh, by the way, it's just not mine. It's a lot of people's uh, calls. But, you know, the one thing I did notice is that we picked up 17 votes for domestic equities and, and only two votes for international equities. And, and we lost votes for most of the other ones, right? Uh, like uh, fixed income, commodities, cash, etc. So, uh Look, I think we're going to stop for a while. Whether we correct or we go sideways, that'll the, the, you know, we'll fi- figure that out. But domestic equities are still the number one asset class. Remember, in 2007 and 2008, when I said cash would outperform the stock market, domestic equities had less than 100, they had less than 50 votes. You know, currencies have 77, and they're the worst asset class right now. So they are the dredges of humanity at that point, all right? So, uh, look, I looked at, at most of the indexes and the emerging markets and the foreign markets finally went negative after 14 weeks of going positive. The Dow Jones has been positive for uh, uh, six weeks, but the small and mid caps, for some reason, have been negative. And then the, uh, the QQQs and the S&P 500 equal weight and the capitalization weight uh, have been going different directions. The equal weight's been negative for a week. But the XLG and the SPY have been positive for six straight weeks. I think the correction will be in the large caps. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, we, we do have, uh, if we just look at the QQQ, the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ, you know, is the ETF for the NASDAQ uh, composite, uh, is 49% overbought right now. 
All right. So if you see the correction, um, that's where it'll come from. Now, we also look at the bullish percent for all the groups and we broke 13. We broke 11 two weeks ago. Then we broke 13. Now we've had 17 favored sectors. All right. Now, so I'm going to start from the top and I'm going from overbought to the best, best ideas. The, so building and gaming are at 70. Uh, that's a place where you should wait for pullbacks. Electric utilities and machinery are at 65. I'd wait for pullbacks in those too. Real estate, Wall Street, steel, semiconductors, and uh, forest and paper products are at 60. I'd still wait. You know, buy it, wait till they correct. Healthcare, computers, elect- electrical device, uh, electrical products, and transportation is at 50. Not a bad place. You know, you want to be looking at the charts on those. Housing, restaurants, and waste management at 45. And then biotech. I mean, I've seen so many biotechs double in it. I've seen like 15 biotechs double in a day. Now, some of these are, you know, look, I've seen 15 biotechs go down 25% too. So you got to know what you're doing in that area. All right. And I just happen to uh, follow that fairly closely. So, but that's your Vegas money. It's not, you know, by the way, there are some big cap biotechs that look better than most of the drug companies have bigger dividends. All right. Our top pick in that area. That's a bigger dividend than 90% of the, the health, I mean, the, uh, the drug stocks out there. So, so we did have uh, biogenetics go bull confirmed, computers, drugs, healthcare, internet, leisure, media, uh, non-ferrous metals, precious metals, protection safe, uh, uh, safety equipment, and textiles are all in bull confirmed status. Only six of them are in favored status. So remember that. So the, if you're in bull confirmed, there's still opportunities to make money, I think. Favored status is better. And what happened this week was we had nothing go to unfavored. But we had biotech, computers, healthcare, and steel all go to favored sectors. Maybe, you know, uh, with Cleveland Cliffs buying AKS Steel, uh, that's a good thing. You know, maybe that starts uh, a consolidation in the industry. Who knows? Uh, I looked at the international equities, and um, I noticed, you know, uh, Mr. Trump talked about uh, some of the digital service taxes in France, which, uh, you know, Mr. Trump said targeted American technology companies. And look, you, you could be overlooking some headlines on tariffs at that point, but it's still worthwhile to take a look at the techno p- picture of the French equities because they broke a double top, uh, which is and they're not very overbought. I mean, uh, you know, fair, just bare, like 10 percent. So, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, I looked at four or five j- different French ETFs. They all look pretty good. Um, also, uh, if I look at the European equivalent, uh and and I looked at the VIX on the on Europe, and I I looked at the inverse <coughs> VIX, and the VIX is the volatility index and the fear index. Those things look like they're going higher. So the VIXs are com- the VIX is coming down. That means usually stocks are going up. So what we're doing was we're buying the inverse of that VIX, and you go accordingly. And it, believe me, there's ETS for everything. In fixed income, look, it's kind of interesting. We we've had some sell signals given by the intermediate and long term treasury yields. Uh, and, but the, the largest score deterioration in the last 30 days has primarily been the domestic long-duration uh, groups, uh, you know, the 30-year treasury, et cetera. And uh, the convertible bonds continue to improve, and so don't the floating rate bonds. So uh, that might be the best area. You know, I've talked about convertible bonds. I'm starting to add those to my portfolios again. And then um, if I look at the commodities, uh, crude had been positive for four or five weeks, went negative this week. Gold's probably the one that uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. 
It's been negative for 13 straight weeks, which is a long time in the commodity business. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you've got to be careful. But, uh, you know, commodities have not really been overbought here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, we also talk about relative strength. And, you know, relative strength is a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else. Uh, in our case, we look at the, you know, the S&P 500 equal weighted index where each stock gets one vote. So what we do is we take each day's stock's uh, closing price and we divide it by uh, the S&P 500 equal weight, okay? And then we divide it by its uh, peers or in its group or the ETF in its group, all right? So uh, when you get a relative strength buy signal, uh, sometimes it can be very, very positive for a long, long time. Now, PG&E, uh, you know, which is having a uh, set of problems in California, gave a buy signal. Tenant Healthcare, which is in the hospital business. Cancer Genetics, uh, Oramed Pharmaceuticals, you know, uh, biotech went positive this week, folks. Uh, Akiba Therapeutics, uh, Edetas Medicine, uh, uh, well, Adentes Therapeutics got big, uh, a buy signal, but uh, they got bought out too. Insego uh, Corporation, which is communication technology. That's an interesting chart, by the way. On the sell side, this is where you want to check your, you know, your, your numbers and make sure that you know what you're talking about. Um, Icon Enterprises, uh, which is a real estate investment trust, uh, and Cara Therapeutics, which has, you know, not the terrible news, but not great news on one of their products. And then Centera uh, Gold, which is in the basic resources. Although, you know, I had a lot of gold stocks show up on my machine this week, and it, it'll be interesting to see. So, look, uh, Charlie, if you're listening, I'm probably, I think you are. Uh, the melt-up started. Now we're pausing for a while. Melt-ups don't, you know, in a month going up 10% is a lot. So, you remember, I, I didn't talk about the last two weeks, okay? Uh, you called me, and I, I said, I think we could have a melt-up. 10% in a month is a pretty good, uh, pretty good month, you know? I hope your 401k was 100% invested, uh, we'll, and we'll leave it at that. Hey, we're going to come back with Insiders, so stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Uh, once again, WHK 1420, local podcast, Tim Hayes. That'll get you directly on my webpage. Okay, we're back. <laughs> Sorry, just had to take a break there and cough a little. <laughs> um, anyway, we... we uh, we talk about insiders and, uh, you know, look, we started out with uh, the big economy and then we went to our strategist, Lori Calcivini, then we went to some technical stuff. And now we're just talking about, hey, these guys buy for fundamentals. Okay, that's what happened. Look, they're not looking at the, the chart. They're looking at the fundamentals. All right. And they're usually early. And I'm just going to look at the big buys. Okay. I don't want the little ones. I want the big buys. Or I want multiple buys where there's five or six people buying at once, okay? Uh, and if, if they're smaller, that's okay. You know, in some cases, I've seen like 11, 12 people buy two to 3,000 shares. You know, F Federal Express, we've had that two or three times. Uh, so those are things we want to pay attention to, although it's not a lot of money. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of money when we put them all together, okay? So insiders are early. We're looking at the big ones. Sometimes there's small ones that we miss. Uh, but we're looking at the big ones, you know, big purchases, like we million dollars or better. And we look, we're looking for multiple purchases. Okay. So Eastman Kodak company, we had two directors, uh, one, George Carnishical, Carnishical. I, I can't pronounce that name. Uh, it, 
he bought $6.24 million worth, and Philippe uh, Katz bought $5.547 million. So East Makota, that's a, that's a little $2.80 stock for all you guys that like the, some uh, Vegas money. And Signacorp, uh, which has just backed off a new high, one of the directors there bought $1.55 million worth, which is interesting because, uh, uh, you know, that's been showing up on my charts also. So let's see. Now, um, Evalis. Now, this is the company that has a product uh, that competes with Allergan's. Uh, oh, gosh, I, I forgot the name here. Uh, stuff to shoot in your lips. Uh, I'll think of it before the end of the day. Anyway, the Tang Capital Partners, that's Jerry Tang, who's a very smart man, bought a 5.8% passive stake in Avalis uh, just recently. Um, and that's, I consider, very smart money, so remember that one. And then uh, Donnelly Financial uh, Solutions, which is, you know, uh, was an $18 stock uh, just back in May, is now 970 We had a director uh, buy $2.824 million. By the way, it's the first purchase in almost three, four years. So uh, maybe something's turning. And here's for the guys that really like to roll the dice, and that's uh, Global Star, which is uh, wireless communications. It's the $0.39 cent stock. The CEO bought $1.119 million worth. Uh, so that's that's your Vegas money. ACCOM, <laughs> um, uh, AC, AECOM, I guess it is, uh, a guy named Fields, he's a director, and he's, uh, he's, he's the oldest director of the company, bought eight point five. One one million dollars worth. Uh, these guys are in services, and uh, then I noticed uh, Palo Alto Networks, which had a double major double top, I think, at two fifty, uh, and is now two twenty four. The CEO, who's a pretty smart guy, and had some pretty, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but four years ago, I, I rec, rec well, I didn't recommend it. I talked about this stock when it was down in the one twenties, and he bought uh, about ten million dollars worth of stock. You know. it's Three or four years, two fifty. That ain't bad. Um, so he, the CEO, he bought five point five three eight million dollars worth, uh, which is not chump change. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, CB and L Associate Properties. This is a REIT, real estate investment trust. One director bought a million dollars worth. And Enterprise Products, another master limited partnership. We've been talking about this for three or four weeks now. The Duncan family, which may be the you know, the Kinders and the Duncans are, are the two smartest people in the MLP business. They've been in the longest. Mr. Kinder's been buying every week. Uh, now we have a couple of his directors buying. And now the Duncan family, uh, the oldest Duncan uh, and the one that runs this place, bought six point two. Well, he, actually, no, he's a director. Uh, so he, he no longer runs the place. He bought $6.24 million, and then he bought another $4.208 million. So Enterprise Products is... Probably uh, maybe the the finest of all those companies, I think, personally. The Howard Hughes Corporation, Pershing Square, which is a big-time activist, bought uh, $200,844,000 with the Howard Hughes Corporation, which is in real estate development, if you you don't know about them. Expedia, uh, you know, they got rid of the the president and CEO, uh, both of them, by the way, and a director bought uh, $1.976 million worth. So obviously, they think things are gonna, good things are going to happen. And then Forum Energy Technologies. This is oil and gas. Uh, it's basic materials. It's another $1.27 stocks for you guys, that like to, guys and gals that like to gamble. 
And two directors uh, each bought $585,988 worth. And then uh, our PBF Energy, remember last week we had a, a person buy there. Now we have Inversora Carso uh, bought $4.982 million worth. And that's, uh, I think, the five times in the last three weeks. So that's that's important. And Organesos uh, Holdings, Avista Capital, this is like a six $5 stock, bought $30 million worth, you, you know, so... Usually those guys sharpen their pens. Also, uh, Ovid Therapeutics, Takeda Pharmaceuticals, bought uh, $2 million worth, or about $5 million. They now directly own uh, uh, 5,750,000 shares. Sorry about that. Um, And then uh, Fortress Transportation Infrastructure Investors, we had a director buy $5 million and... and (laughs) By the way, they, they've been buying quite a bit, so uh, pay attention there. And uh, so, once again, lots of insiders buying, okay? So, if things are so bad, why are all these guys buying? They see something down the line, and I, I don't know what it is. But, look, we had volatility return this week, but we did have a 10% move straight up. So, uh, you know, when I talked about that, that you know, melt up, uh, we, we, we did have it. Uh, now, nothing goes to the moon, okay? So, you... We're going to have a correction, maybe, don't know, you know, and corrections usually occur either by time, meaning we go sideways, or we go down, all right? And uh, look, we, we got right up to, remember, I talked about this uptrend, and an uptrend, what you do is you take a line and you draw it below a series of lower highs, I mean higher lows, and then higher highs, and that's an up that defines an uptrend. So we have this big uptrend, and what we've been in now for the last year and a half is this smaller uptrend. All right, and that's in the middle of this this huge uptrend that dates back to two thousand nine, and we're at the top of that. Now that doesn't mean we can't go higher, but it could mean we go sideways. I know uh, Lori Casavina seems to think the large cap stocks are priced to perfection, and. Uh, <coughs> <clears throat> there's some categories that you can see that <clears throat> hold on a second. Uh, there are a couple of categories, you know, that uh, she sees that are even extended beyond that. So, I mean, when the futures market is uh, as dominated by people going long as they are right now, you, know, you should pay attention. Okay. So I think um, we're, we're at the high end of the curve. So the general optimism we're hearing uh, in the media you know, is is increasingly um, bullish as we go into the year end. Let's just put it that way, okay? So I think the Dow and the S&P are now at resistance levels, so you want to be careful. Now, what interests me the most, uh, you know, the Dow backed off the most. It was the first to correct. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. And also the, the NASDAQ starting to correct now too. I'm also noticing a lot of the growth stocks, those software companies I talked about, I said to back off on uh, are are starting to back off on their own. <laughs> Even if they, they uh, you know, like Salesforce blew the cover off the ball, pulled in their numbers a little bit, they're down four or five bucks. So I think, look, I don't think these are bad companies. I think they're really good companies. That's why I'm talking about the technology, inter- uh, media, internet, and telecom- telecommunications uh, conference. These are names you're going to store as they correct, okay? Because they'll correct and they'll come back. But um, I think for now, you know, 
the S&P 500, uh, if I looked at the point and figure chart, is at the top of its 10-week trading band. That means it's extremely overbought, okay? You know, you'd like to see it at the bottom, which was where it was when I said we could have a melt-up. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just say this again. What I'm seeing is technology still leads the, the boat, although it's, you know, it's not, the FANG stocks are not doing well. The industrials and the financials are next, and then consumer cyclicals. Utilities fell out of the top four spots. So that's interesting. Healthcare made the biggest move. Healthcare was dead uh, second last to energy, and it moved up three spots. That's pretty pretty significant in, in, uh, when you think about it in a short period of time, in a month. And energy uh, intrigues me, uh, and, but the only th- reason I'm not really touting it is because of these uh, environmental, social, and governance funds. They're bailing on these things. They're not buying anything. So this is, and believe me, the liberal, the the left is is throwing money in these things. So they're they're dictating policy by economics, uh, which you know I think is going to cost us all a lot of money. Because look, if the oil companies can't get capital, we're going to pay a lot for oil, and we're not ready to go alto electric yet. Just trust me on that one. And gold, uh, you know, gold um, continues to make, uh, you know. Uh, me, I'm paying very close attention to it. I, I think, you know, you want to buy a little bit here. Uh, you may have to buy some more, but I, th- I have a feeling that there's going to be some real interesting things happen. And don't forget what I said last week. If I if I look at the market cap cliff of the S&P 500, uh, Microsoft is 4.26% of the S&P 500, and Apple is 4.3% of the S&P 500. The bottom... 100 stocks are 3%, okay? And the S&P 500 is the rest. That's the 88.36%. So uh, I, I mentioned that small caps broke out of a quadruple top, so just re- just remember that. In the meantime, uh, what I'd be looking at is, uh, look, we have a, a, I keep talking about the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook, and I know I've got something here because only three people have signed up for it. Uh, we have our global best income ideas and our global insight, uh, our outlook for 2020. Uh, that's a real interesting piece. Um, and you can get that by going to WHK 1420, going down to local podcast, down to Tim Hayes and the Smart Investor Show. My webpage is right there. It's very easy to get to. Uh, you know, contact me, email me, that type of thing. Uh, and it's, uh, it's easy to get, you know, easy to get to. You can order any of these. If you'd like to have coffee, you know, say you want to have coffee there or, you know, there's a phone number in there. Give me a call. Good old phone. What a, what a surprise uh, idea. And uh, we'll sit down and we'll talk about your portfolios and, and your wealth plan and your insurance and a whole bunch of other stuff. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay warm. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free. 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.